Setbacks will always take place in one area of your life. My name is Tim Story. And this is Win the Day with James Whitaker. You're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California. Here's your host, James Whitaker. Let's go. Hey, winners. Welcome back to Win the Day. If this is your first time here, we sit down with some of the world's true change makers to give you all the tips, tools, and strategies to win the day every day. The quote for this episode comes from Nelson Mandela and says, Do not judge me by my successes. Judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up again. Our guest today is legendary life coach, author, and spiritual advisor, Tim Story. Through his humanitarian work in 75 countries, Tim has changed the lives of millions of people and helped them adopt their miracle mentality. Whether one-on-one or to audiences of 85,000, Tim has been able to connect on a personal level with people of all walks of life, from entertainment executives, celebrities, and professional athletes, to adults and children in neighborhoods throughout America and in the most deprived and war-torn regions in the world. Some of the well-known individuals who Tim has coached include Robert Downey Jr., Sean Diddy Combs, Charlie Sheen, Oprah Winfrey, and Kanye West. Tim is a regular guest and commentator on national television. He's been interviewed by Oprah, Steve Harvey, and Good Morning America, and his story was featured in my book, Think and Grow Rich, The Legacy. These days, I can't even walk through an airport without seeing his face on dozens of TV screens. In this episode, we're going to talk about what the miracle mentality is and how it can change your life the biggest thing stopping people from stepping into their greatness, what he's learned from coaching some of the world's most impactful people, and how to turn your biggest setback into your biggest comeback. Before we begin, remember that the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So if there's a friend or loved one out there who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. All right, let's win the day with my good friend, Tim Story. Tim, great to see you, brother. Thanks for coming on the Win the Day show. It's good to be here. Good to see you again. <laughs> well, kick things off. Is there a memory from your childhood that you think about a lot today that brought you a lot of joy? Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Walt Disney would be excited about that. Yeah, I, at seven years of age, uh, we went to Disneyland for the first time. And to see, like, Tomorrowland, Frontierland, uh, to see all the characters up close... Disneyland is uh, something that I reflect to many, many times in my life. And you talk a lot about the innocence of a child and how important that is in adopting your miracle mentality. Is the imagination that you can expose children to such an important part of their development? I think there's no doubt about it. Um, I think, number one, that imagination, as you would agree, is innate. But it can be fostered. It can be stirred up. And so the imagination is like so important because it, it, can, it can take you from the reality of where you are to the possibility of where you could be. Yeah. And we're going to talk so much about like rising above your environment, but your, your environment, especially if you're in a negative place, puts all these ceilings on you and yeah. greatly restricts your idea of what you're capable of. If you can surround yourself with really interesting people who live without those ceilings, like the people you and I are around, it's just so 
incredible how quickly that transformation and that growth can occur. Yes, no doubt about it. Mm. Uh, when you were 10 years old, you know, the world was your oyster. Then you found out that your father had passed away mm-hmm. uh, in a car accident. Two years later, your sister also tragically passed in a car in a different car accident. Uh, how did these events at such a young age shape the way that you saw the world and your role in the world? You know, when I look back, I, I now see them as what I call life interruptions. Um, an interruption, if you break down the word, is like a disturbance. Um, so I had I had such momentum when I was a kid. Uh, I was happy-go-lucky, a uh, lot of joy, very similar to now. But the my life was so innocent. It was so innocent. And then to hear that my father had passed and then now hear sounds in our house that I'd never heard before, and that is a very strong lady, my mother, crying. That was difficult. And then it's like, right when we were working through that, because we weren't over my father's passing, but working through, my, my sister, uh, who was super, super cool, she was only 20, uh, her two good friends were sitting up front, my sister was in the back, and they were driving to San Francisco in the fog, and the, the lady thought she saw an off-ramp, and it was not. It was just fog, and they went down this hill. She passed. But um, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a very difficult time that I did not have the tools to get through, but I somehow uh, came through with the tools that I knew at that time. Mm. Are, are they moments you try and block out or do you ever try and connect just to feel what you felt at that time? I very much embrace them. Mm. I'm, I'm okay with pain. I think that, um, I think in life you go through recovery and discovery at all times. So is, as much as I life coach people, um, I, I life coach like some of my friends' children and they might even be you know, 12 years of age, 13, and they're going through things. It could be um, struggling with self-esteem or being bullied at school. And then I life coached, you know, some of the biggest CEOs in the world, and they're going through recovery and discovery at the same time. So I, I embrace the, the pain. I, I never have run from anything. I do believe you have to to deal with things head on, no doubt about it. Mm. Uh, partnerships, relationships has been such a big thing for, for your life, such a mm-hmm. big thing for my life too. Yes. We know about the importance of uh, just connection with, with other people. Who was the first person to believe in you? Well, I think that, you know, my sixth grade teacher made a profound uh, impact on my life because he he had me stay after class one day and he said, Timmy, I want to talk to you and so I went to his to his desk, and he had this thing called a briefcase. <laughs> I laugh because you don't see him around very much. <laughs> he pulled it out and put it on the desk, and uh, he had three books in this briefcase. And he said, "Because I think you are brilliant," which I'd never heard that, you know, said to me. Um, I want to see if you want to check out one of my books, like check it out and sign for it. And he said, this is not for extra credit. This is just to grow you. And that, that was like a mind-boggling thing. This teacher took his extra time, branded me brilliant. And it was one of the books was, that I took was a book about Michelangelo that was written by a man named Irving Stone. And I later became friends with his wife, Jean Stone, when I lived in Beverly Hills. And I told her that story, she started to cry. Because that book 
did something huge to my life because I saw and read about this life of this Michelangelo who did things that were bigger than life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Mother Teresa was also a big influence for you. And of course, we can get a lot of mentors yeah. through the, the written word. Uh, what were the biggest lessons or, or biggest inspirations that you took away from Mother Teresa's career that you were able to apply in your own life? The, the Mother Teresa uh, beauty is that she was on one path and that was to be a traditional nun. Um, so the duties of a nun are, were the duties she had. And then she would hear these orphans um, talking amongst themselves, um, kids within this particular neighborhood. Um, and according to, to her, she heard the cry of the heart of these orphans, uh, not just a verbal, but a, an emotional cry. And she decided to do something about it. So she, she went off her traditional path, because she saw that somebody else was hurting. It's almost like if you're going down the freeway and you see somebody struggling with their car that cannot start on the side of the road and you decide to help. And when I read about this, uh, my junior year in high school, I was already thinking in my mind I was going to USC, University of Southern California. I knew what my major was gonna be. I read this book and I said, wow, this is wild, this is my life. Because I am that guy that loves people so much, I'm willing to go off the path to try to aid somebody else. So Mother Teresa really helped set that in motion. Mm. There's the famous Steve Jobs quote, you can never connect the dots looking forward, you can only connect the dots looking back. Yeah, It sounds like that planted the seed for you at the age of 18 to go to seminary. How mm-hmm. did that phase and that chapter in your life help you make sense of everything else that had happened before and, of course, the, a lot of pain and heartbreak that you had already yeah. gone through to that point? So as you know, some things you decide in life, a decision, as you know, is a choice or a selection. Some things you discover. Um, decision is very important, but I think that parents overemphasize the decision, 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 because sometimes uh, a person at 16, 17, 18 doesn't know what major they want to declare in college or what exactly they want to do for the rest of their life. But you do have to make decisions or choices, but you have to pay attention to the discovery and the discovery is a thing that I think has made Tim's story, is that I had made these decisions and then I went to seminary, but while I was there I discovered that I could create curriculums, that I, I'm, I'm a person who loves to study, and I created a curriculum on dreaming big when I was only 18, 19 years of age. I mean, who's doing that? And then I discovered that I had a gift to communicate. Again, that was a discovery, not a decision. Mm. Do you feel like there's a single purpose that's carried you throughout your entire life? I think it's a calling. I feel that uh, God called me to aid people, and I do it through different skill sets. Uh, one is counseling, therapy. Um, sometimes I, it's through financial giving, being a humanitarian all these years. Mm. Uh, running businesses and hiring people. So um, I think there's a lot of different ways that I answer the call. Mm. You know, I got an email a few weeks ago from a 14-year-old who said, I read your books, I listen to the Win the Day podcast all the time, I'm doing everything that you tell me, but the people I'm around are negative people, 
I'm in a toxic, uh, toxic environment. How can someone growing up or even a young adult, how can they think positive and continue to stay positive and build that momentum when they're just around toxic and negative people all the time? Yeah, I think that what, what happens is that you have, to, uh, you have to choose your moments. So let's, let's say um, if you're in the fourth grade. So if, if school starts, let's say, at 8 a.m. and it ends at 3 you have to be in the classroom with those students for a long time, Monday through Friday, right? But they have something called recess. And then they have uh, a lunchtime. And sometimes when you are, are little, you only have recess and lunchtime to make the choice to go get filled up somewhere else. And so there's a lot of people in bad marriages you need a recess and a lunchtime. <laughs> you work at a job you can't stand. You need a recess and a lunchtime. And so the, the recess and the lunchtime to me is to go in your own space that I call the holy ground. And that is a place where you can fill yourself back up. You can imagine. You can meditate. You can breathe. You can dream. You can just be your original self. Mm, mm. I love that. Uh, when you look around, you know, you've worked with people from the lowest lows right through to, you know, the most famous people yeah. in the world. You've, we're in Australia recently. You live in America. You've traveled to 75 countries. Mm -hmm. What is the pain that people have today? And what do you feel as you're observing this and talking to them? I think the pain is uh, in so many parts. Um, so I remember as a young guy, I used to always hear older people say, um, How's your health? I never understood that question. How's your health? So when you're like 10, 11, 12, and you hear an uncle say to another uncle, how's your health? I, I didn't understand that. But as, as you get older, you start to see a lot of people that they have health problems. So, you know, we both are physical people. And so you have your, your mindset, you have your body, you have so many different parts of your, your, your body that can go wrong. So to me, it's the same thing in life. Mm. Um, it's really trying to find uh, times in your life to heal things that probably um, got injured along life's journey that you didn't even realize were injured. Mm. So I think that one of the things that I see in uh, a lot of successful people is that they move so quickly and they become a human doing, as you've heard, rather than a human being. And then it catches up with them later. They don't take time to heal. Mm -hmm. Out of everyone you've worked with, is there a particular transformation that you're most proud of or that you're open to sharing today? I think that, you know, I... I I get the privilege to, to work with so many types of people, like you said, whether inner city kids in South Africa or NFL players or NBA players. Um, but I think, you know, dialoguing with people like Stevie Wonder for over 20-something years is fun. And um, when we talk transformation, it's not like so-and-so was had this terrible addiction and now they're like so free. Mm -hmm. So I think Stevie is, a lot of our conversations are about just life. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoy talking to Oprah Winfrey. She's my real friend. 
and uh, she has really cool uh, food at her house. <laughs> That's always good. No, because you can sit down with her, and then it's like, Tim, and if you don't like that, they can make you this. I'm like, <laughs> it's like you're in the White House. <laughs> but, yeah, we got choices. Um, so I, I, I see what I do is a, a series of conversations with, with people. So I, I never look at it like, you know, I've worked with um, Charlie Sheen for probably 23 years. So I never look at it as like, I'm the one that helped get Charlie from one place to the other. Hmm. I don't see it that way because his dad was also involved or the, the, the people that were uh, helping him with addiction were, were involved. Hmm. I just, I have a skill set and it seems to be working and I just try to help people get better. Mm, absolutely. And you're a super humble guy. You just happen to help people, you know, who are the, the most influential <laughs> and the, the absolute pinnacle of entertainment. How do you help someone whose greatest strength, perhaps creativity, like hyper creativity in the realm of genius is also their biggest weakness? Like how do you help someone be free and step into their greatness without restricting that uh, creative spirit that's made them so successful? So I think if we talk conversations, let's, let's take Kanye West. Uh, first time I met him was I was going to Miami in 2006 and he came into first class and he sat next to me and he was on his way to Art Basel. And we just started talking. And we, we literally talked for five and a half hours straight. We had never met each other. And he has a religious background. His mother, Donda, was a great friend of mine. I was at her funeral when she passed. But Kanye and I talked, and he said, like, I want to collaborate. So collaboration to him was me being in the studio and just being energy and us discussing. What was really cool one time is uh, the song Stronger, Whatever Doesn't Kill Me Make Me Stronger. I remember all he had was the beat. He did not have the lyrics. And to see how Timbaland came in and helped with that, and then Pharrell Williams added some ideas, and Will I Am, and then they brought in Def Punk, and they had the strings. Um, it was awesome to see somebody as brilliant as Kanye West lean on other people to stack up his brilliance. Mm. But at the same time, with a personality like that, um, or with a John Lennon, or with a Bob Dylan, or with a David Bowie, or with an Andy Warhol, that I think those people need to learn to rest. Uh, there, I think there's a time to rest the mindset and just to, to go away to a solitary place and just rest and not always be on. Mm. I think when you're trying to be on uh, for too long, it's, it's not good. Draining as well, isn't it? I've noticed that even on Zoom calls, if mm. you're doing like a coaching call or, or doing a speech virtually, just Zoom at the end of it. I am wiped when you put your, your heart and soul into that. So being able to even dial back the energy. And it, and it makes no sense because what happens if, let's, let's take... NBA basketball. So you have LeBron James. Um, he is about 38 years of age, and he's resting a little bit more than he did when he was 23 because it's just where he's at with his, with his body. And so, so sometimes the coach will call a timeout 
take LeBron out, and he'll only rest three minutes. But during that three minutes, there's like a there's a reset, and then there's a refresh, and then there's a renewal, and then many times because he's LeBron, he'll just go up to the coach and go, "I'm ready," and we need this as 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 human beings to just put ourselves on the bench sometimes and realize there's some other pretty capable guys out here in this world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my favorite thing to watch you do is rock a stage in front of thousands of people, even in small groups as well. I've seen you do it at church. I've seen you do it at events. Yeah. Uh, it's so cool. What do you, do you have like a ritual before you walk on stage or is there something that you say to yourself before you walk out to make sure you're delivering an amazing performance? At your I, think that, I think that my style of being a speaker is, is very original and that I never watched other speakers. So when people say, you know, this guy was amazing and that guy was amazing and this guy was amazing and she's amazing and did you study them? No, I studied, I studied Richard Pryor. I studied George Carlin. I studied Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Eddie Murphy. Because there's something about comedians on stage the pause, the way they use the stage, utilize it, right? The storytelling. They're so much better than these motivational speakers. And so a lot of my training came from just watching these guys and, and creating a style before the style came out. I really believe what Steve Harvey has said to me and Oprah Winfrey has said to me that I am the pioneer in this style. I, I never saw another person speak in the style in which that I started speaking in. And what do I mean by that? I would take information and I would almost act it out. Where the other thing was like, let me tell you the seven steps to success. Step number one, believe in yourself. That was so not me. I was doing a doggone one-man show. I was doing a monologue. I was laughing when you started that story because I'm exactly that. I actually watch comedians because yeah. it's not just, you know, the, the, the pause, absolutely, the way that they strategically place silence. I think they are the best communicators in the world, but they also bring the audience in with them. They have that sensory acuity. If there's a, a heckler in the crowd, like they're able to get in there 100%. and respond and do that. Yeah, 100%. And I think... What's happened today, I was telling my mother this the other day. My mother is about to be 93 and she's super strong. And I said, I said, Mom, when I started, there were only like so many guys that were like at the top of what we, we do. And now there's so many people that want in the space. It's like the Boston Marathon. It's like over 30,000 people that are just jamming for the space, right? And um, I think part of what's missing is that a lot of the speakers, both male and female, they're, they're clever. They're clever. They're clever. But clever can only get you so far. I think a lot of their talks, they, they lack substance and, and, and meaning and weight. But they're clever. Does that make sense? Mm, absolutely. Oh, man, they come up with clever stuff. And they're quoting guys and not quoting guys and saying stuff that has been for years been somebody else's but acting like it's their own. So there almost needs to be a purification of this gift. Yeah, and uh, great teachers 
of course, they have students, and the growth and development of the students is a sign of a great teacher. Yeah. When you're on stage, you can feel the energy shift in the room. You can feel the emotion shift in the room. Well, thank and you. you can experience a transformation that people go through. You've got transformations all around the world. Yeah. And I think people out there are busy trying to serve themselves rather than being like, how can I get real transformation from this audience that I'm in. And that's where something that you had shared before with me, I think it was from mm-hmm. when I interviewed you for Thinking Grow It's a Legacy a long time ago, about the idea that you were born an original. Yeah. Don't die a copy. It's right. important to get inspiration from other people and to, to level up. It's important that we access all of these different um, pieces of content and inspiration that we have available, but we need to figure out how we do that in our own way that's honorable and respectful to who well, we are. Well, here's something to think about. Okay, so we have roughly 8 billion people on the planet. And what's happening in people's lives is they're, they're looking for leadership. They're looking for mentoring. They're looking for tutoring. So if we, if we value people, that I think it's very important for us to become educated and be compassionate and, and understand what the people we're trying to influence might need. So I never think from a position of monetization, where I think so many speakers today think about, oh, look at that big group of people that I can possibly monetize. I think we're, 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 we're missing something very, very human. Mm. So I don't think of the monetization and the upsell, but I think that that's one reason I'm like so blessed. Like in my life, people try to give me everything. They try to give me horses, and that's when I was living in L.A. Literal horses we're talking about here? Real horses. <laughs> they try to give me boats, cars, Rolex watches, a lot, a lot of money. And it's not by accident. You reap what you sow. Mm. The horses I've turned down. <laughs> a kid from Compton, I didn't know what to do with the horse. Put the horse in the boat. I can see you out there in Marina Del Rey. <laughs> That's funny, actually. <laughs> yeah, but I think that, oh, please, the, the monetization side, that came with the fact that big companies started saying, hey, Tim, like, this is not my personal money. Mm. You know, we're Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> we can afford to pay you that amount. Yeah. Yeah, part of the internet marketing crowd that's come in, you know, the, the, the reality is that for the transformation to occur, a transaction needs to happen. Like if you're going to work with someone, you and I can have conversations for half an hour over yeah. coffee to try and help people, but they need more exposure. They need more ongoing help. So for the biggest transformation, often a transaction needs to occur. But I see so many people, they're all, they're, their blue ribbon, like their gold medal is getting the transaction and they don't care about the transformation. Right. Whereas something that you do so well is that is a starting point because it's the commitment from the other person. And once you receive the commitment, the transformation process. Well, occur. what you said, I've never heard it said that way. That's actually brilliant. So the, the transaction, because I, I love words, and the transformation. And again, if you're not careful, you're just thinking of the transaction. How then do I monetize this? You know, I have uh, rent to pay. Now I have a big house to pay. I have a, now I have a Ferrari to pay. And, and so really, the way I look at guys like that, I'm really not that impressed, to be honest. So somebody can be on social media and they look like a chess pounder. 
and it could be a, a, a woman or a man. It's not just men. And someone can say, like, look how impressive this person is, Tim. And they want to meet with you, and they want to collaborate, and they want to do something together. I don't really vibe with that mm. because a lot of where I'm coming from is, like, motive. So when you got involved in Think and Grow Rich, and then you were writing your book, and I started to get to know you, one thing I, I, I really loved about you is like your motives. Your motives are to help transform people's lives. And to me, that's why you're becoming one of the best at, at, at what you do. Because I think the universe is making place for you. Mm, thank you. I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Out of we, we mentioned people there who inauthentic in terms of they know the right path for them in terms of following their truth, but they don't, they don't go with it. How well do you know these days whether someone who is in the midst of making extremely bad decisions, mm -hmm. can, can you tell whether or not this person, you, you give them everything you got, can you tell whether that person's going to go straight back to their bad behaviors or people like a Robert Downey Jr. where they go the complete opposite and they'll never be that person ever again? I can tell almost every time. Really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I suspect that that might have been the case. Yeah. Um, I think that in the, reason, the reason why is because when you want to have a comeback, there are certain steps. Number one, you have to become awake, conscious. Two, you have to take inventory. Most people won't do number two, and that is a realistic inventory. That's why some people are afraid to go to the doctor. <laughs> they don't want a full battery of tests mm -hmm. to find out something might be wrong with their body. I hear people say, I'd rather not think about it. Ignorance is bliss. That's how they look. Mm. So you have to become awake to have this comeback. You have to take inventory. Then here's the third thing that I don't see a lot of people doing. They will not partner with the right people. The right people, in the case of you being challenged or problemed, is not someone who's just saying, I feel sorry for you, or you're a victim, or you don't deserve this. Sometimes it really is tough love. It is being challenged. It is being shaken, okay? Mm -hmm. And so if somebody is not willing to take inventory and to find the right partner, I can see that most times they're going to revert back to the beginning and then have to go through the process again. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's a quote from Robert Downey Jr., which I think is so interesting in terms of people who are caught up in those addictive, um, negative behaviors. Yeah. Uh, it's like I have a loaded gun in my mouth and I like the taste of metal. I think he might even have said that to the judge in one of the court proceedings he had yeah. a long time ago. How do you approach helping someone who is addicted to destroying themselves? Yeah, I, w I was um, all part of that. That was in Malibu. That was to the judge. And I had just been with Robert days before that. Um, when he said that, I wasn't in the court that day. And when I saw it on the news, it like it shook me to my core because he's such a kind guy. Uh, so much so, like, he went to my son's basketball game. <laughs> I remember him walking in and they're like, I think that's Robert Downey Jr. So that's, that's Robert and... Um, I've been fortunate enough to be close to him for all these years, since 1999. I think with Robert, I think that the support of his mother, the support of his family, uh, people in his life, 
showed him over and over and over and over through the power of partnership that he had the support of, of love. And then it, for him, and he talks about this, he found the discipline. He found the discipline in renewing his mind, the discipline of getting deeper uh, into spirituality, into God, but also getting into uh, self-defense, martial arts. Um, but what a great example, one of the greatest we've had in entertainment. I was talking to, it sounds funny, but I was talking to Tony Curtis about this, uh, the late, great Tony Curtis, the actor, and he was my real great buddy. And he says, by far, Robert Downey is one of the top three actors of our time. He, he thought Robert and Johnny Depp were two, two of them. But it's great to see how well Robert is continuing to do and all the things he's doing in humanitarian work. And how close we came to never being able to, to benefit as, a, as humanity from his, his amazing work. Well, truly. And I, but if we could take it off him for a second, just take it off on, on the eight billion of us, is I honestly think that there are times that life is that frail and we don't we don't recognize like like really man I, I need to get this together because whatever this thing I'm going through can really take me down the the wrong path that could take decades to come back. Mm. And and this is what I see a lot of. I see like a, a lot of young guys that will say like like, hey, Tim, you know, I got it together, and uh, this is just who I am at this age. I'm talking about people with, like, major addictions. But, man, you, you see some of them later, even four years later, they look like they've aged 14 years. Mm. Yeah. Um, you do a lot of work to help people with addiction. Mm -hmm. The other side of that are the people who are impacted by that addiction. How does someone know when it's time to close the chapter, maybe of a relationship that they're in, a career they hate, even a friendship that's no longer serving them? How do we know when it's time to, to close that chapter so we can create space for something amazing to happen? Yeah, I think you, you, you never close the love line. You always have the love line. But according to this book, Boundaries, which is such a great book, you have to re you have to reestablish boundaries with someone. So if you're dating someone who's abusive because of their addiction, you you have to reestablish the boundaries. You may not be able to date this person, or if you're married to someone who is um, struggling with addiction, and they'll go through my process of becoming awake, take inventory, but not being willing to partner with the right people to get help, you you might have to say this is not working for me now and go through a separation or it may not, may not work. So I've had to do this in, even in my own life and I am a trained therapist. There are people that I've had to separate myself from, but I, I never separate the love that I have for them. But, but I cannot enable them because it'll be bad for them and really bad for me. God, mm, that's so powerful. I think people listening to this are really going to enjoy that. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes of yours is look for people who can handle your upgrade. Yes. I feel like I've gone through several stages of, of yeah. rebirth and different points in my life and my career, mm -hmm. vastly different to the person that I was 10 years ago and, and 10 years yeah. before that. What do you mean by look for people who can handle your upgrade? I think that you never know who's going to break out of the out of the pack 
So um, a friend of mine took me to Del Mar, which is in Southern California, to the horse races. Have you ever been to horse races mm -hmm. before? And so as you know, you have all these horses that are there and the, the jockeys. And someone could be riding a horse that's like in fifth place and it comes out of nowhere <laughs> and wins by a nose. Same in life. And a lot of people you don't expect to do well. I remember I saw Kevin Hart 15 years ago at the airport. And he just looked like a short guy waiting for his bag at American Airlines by himself. It's a true story. There was nobody around LAX 15 years ago. It was a short guy standing with the rest of us waiting for the bag. Fast forward, his tours, 18,000, 20,000, 18,000, 20,000, all over the nation, one of the biggest stars in the world. Okay, back it up 15 years ago, he's waiting for his bag like the rest of us. Yeah. So there are very few people that can handle the upgrade mm. because they think that should have been my upgrade. I'm, I'm smarter than her, prettier than her, better than her, better than him. Very few people can handle the upgrade. I know that because I coach people that live in the upgrade and see how many friendships they've lost. Mm, mm. I think people in Australia in particular, we have what you described there is something called tall poppy syndrome in Australia. People are happy to see you doing well on the condition that you're not doing too much better than they are because you're exactly right. They yeah. imagine, hey, I should have been that person. Mm -hmm. There's a Napoleon Hill quote, one of my favourites, action is the real measure of intelligence. Yeah. It's just like, look, if, if you thought that should have been you, well, why didn't you take the necessary actions, the necessary growth, the necessary relationships to put yourself in a position to mm -hmm. enjoy the experiences that this person's life has? I love that quote. Mm -hmm. That was a great quote that I've never heard before. But I will say this also, is that life is about assignments. And my assignment um, at one point was to be one of the best speakers in the world. And... Somehow, some way, I became pretty doggone good. So, as you said, over 75 countries, biggest crowd, 85,000. I don't think that's my assignment anymore. I'm really into, um, I'm starting to open up clinics uh, for mind health clinics, physical clinics uh, all over the world. I'm also in the gaming community. I'm the first person to be part of one of the largest gaming communities, Xset. I'm the mind health coach. That's pretty wild. Uh, I am a coach for a large um, AI company. That's unusual. And now I'm, I'm breaking into other spaces, helping the, the elderly. Now, can I still rock a stage? Yeah, but so can Mick Jagger, <laughs> and the guy's 172. So um, I, I, I think I can still do it at the same level, but that's not really my focus. I'm leaving that to guys like you now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. You've, you've uh, led the path. Yes. Uh, what's the biggest thing that's stopping people from stepping into their greatness? One of the, one of the biggest things is um, self-doubt. 
that if you really get into the core of a human being and, and get them when they're tired, get them when they're not feeling good, um, you, you find that there's a lot of self-doubt. That they think it could happen for this person or that person or this person, but in their frustration, they can see their false flaws and failures. So there's no doubt about it is the self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, the you that you see is the you that you will be. So no doubt about it, self-doubt. Mm-hmm. The people you coach, I imagine most of them would be high performers or have achieved great success already. Yeah. Is there one thing in particular you do that helps them perform at their, at their highest level? Yes. I think that one of the things that I'm good at is helping people find their own secret sauce. I think that Prince did not want to be Michael Jackson. Bob Dylan does not want to be, did not want to be uh, Stevie Wonder. And I really help people find their secret sauce and crystallize it. So like even with you, I have thoughts for you just by watching you. Uh, I think you're phenomenal already, but I think you're going to, over the next few months and years, really crystallize your authenticity, which will make you like unbeatable at what you do. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's a guy named Richard Marks that used to sing all the time and sings sometimes now. When Richard Marks came out, like in the 70s and 80s, everybody was trying to sing like Richard Marks. When Luther Vandross came out, so many African-American singers were trying to sing like Luther. And so we're, we're trying to be these copies, but I, I'm really a pro at helping people discover their secret sauce and then crystallize it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You know, I, with the clients I work with, I like them to write down, I am ready to win. You know, I talk about win the day all the time. Yeah. Day becomes a week, becomes a month, becomes your life. Just simply writing down, like physically writing down, I am ready to win, even if that's a daily affirmation, just something like that, I feel like, just to get the, to recognize that you have it. Yeah. You don't need to worry about trying to mimic someone else. Focus on your own, you know, your own path. Yeah, but see, but I think that, that, again, that's part of your signature message. So that would be put in the lane of like a, of a, of a Stephen Covey, of a Zig Ziglar, of a John Maxwell. So now, you're in that group, but as you're growing and maturing, you're going to find even more of your secret sauce crystallizing your calling and step up even to a better place. That's my own opinion. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you have been able to help so many of the people that you've shared already that we shared in the introduction. You have helped them with so much. What have you learned from, from them? Is there one or two lessons in particular that have come back the other way that have changed your life? It's always, it's always... Uh, two-way street? <laughs> two-way street, yeah. I mean, from, from Magic Johnson, I learned resilience. From Kanye West, I learned um, that when you're, when you're doing a, a rap, it's not like it just goes down one street. Because he, he was doing a song that became famous. And I pitched him some lines. He goes, Tim, <laughs> no. He goes, the song is not supposed to just go down the street. You got to turn the corner. Okay. From Steve Perry from Journey, I learned about um, how to 
really get into a crowd and rock a stage. That was just by being around him so much and and dialoguing. Um, from Robert Downey being on sets of movies, uh, him showing me the take on how he's going to do something before he he did it. From a Smokey Robinson to see how relaxed he is before he goes on stage. So, wow. The things that I've been able to learn and continue to learn from these people um, that have helped build my life. Mm. So I, I hope I've been able to affect them as much as people think, but they have definitely affected me mm. in yes. a positive way. Yeah, one thing I love about you, Tim, is your commitment to ongoing education and and I'm a learner, yeah. Yeah, there's a Ray Kroc quote, the founder of McDonald's in the modern form, yeah. who said it's better to be green and growing than ripe and rotting. And I just feel like that about you. Every time we yeah. catch up, it's always about green and growing. What's your process of being able to, when you watch something or read something, how do you turn that into a way that you can use that to be able to try and help inspire other people? Yeah, I think that um, for me, there, there's, there's so much amazing information going on that I, I don't want to go to the information that's necessarily just trending. So like chat GPT, like that's what a lot of people are talking about, but I needed to find out about it. So I actually have researchers. So I would ask my researchers, send me what you can on that subject. And so you get like a plethora of things uh, for me to make it easier on myself. I'm kind of old-fashioned, I like to print it out. So I might have like 28 pages on that subject, okay? But recently I was in an Uber and a guy was from Eurythria. And so I said, oh yeah, you guys like the sistering country to Ethiopia. I always thought that Ethiopia and Eurythria were like almost the same size. And he says, no, they're like about seven, eight times larger as a, as a company, as a country. I didn't know that. So you know what I did? I literally went home that night and studied both countries for like two hours. I will never, ever speak on that. I just wanted to know. Well, here we are. You have a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I have a little bit, right? Yeah. Interesting, right? Yeah. So um, if I don't know um, about uh, Laird Hamilton, great surfer, I want to study more. Uh, Kelly Slater, I want to know more. Uh, I watched surfing documentaries. I'm from Compton, California. <laughs> and where did that come from? That came from walking down Huntington Beach Pier one time with a very pretty girl and was sitting there watching these surfers and me going, like, who's the best? And on my private life, I just went and studied. So yeah, I have a growth mindset. Yeah, I love it. Uh, you talk a lot about the miracle mentality. You've written a book about the miracle mentality. What is the miracle mentality and how important is it today? Miracle mentality is like who we are. So uh, I think that um, the miracle mentality is innate within all of us that um, psychologists, psychiatrists, thought leaders have found that even within children, the power of the imagination a miracle is something extraordinary, uncommon, unusual. That's how kids think. Some kids, when I've spoken on this, they try to push back and they go, no, no, no. My childhood is miserable. Or let's say if they're teenagers or in their 20s, they'll say, when I was a child, I was, I was miserable. I'd say, but you, you dreamt about something. And they go, no, I didn't. I said, I bet you dreamt about leaving the house someday getting out of the house. Yeah, I dreamt about that. I bet you dreamt about 
someday you're going to you know, prove them wrong. I said, so you use your imagination. So the miracle mentality is innate. But it has to be mentored, tutored, and discipled. It really does. Mm. So I think it's, it's innate in a smaller form. And you can, you can grow your miracle mentality. And just quickly, you can go from believing to expecting. So you expect good things to happen in your life. I don't know how that happened. But I, from being around you, I just know you expect big things to happen. Most people do not. They believe in miracles, but they don't necessarily expect them. Mm, big difference, isn't it? Big difference. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Uh, you're probably most well, your most well-known quote would be, the bigger the setback, the bigger the comeback. Yes. For someone who's at home watching this or listening to this podcast, if they're right in the rock bottom, wallowing in their rock bottom moment right now, what would you say to them to help them start to take that first step to turn that setback into a comeback? Yeah, so I have to use somebody else's thought process first and then go to mine. Is that life really is a marathon and it's not a sprint. So even if somebody passes away at age 31, they were, they were alive from birth to 31. If they pass away at age 99, from birth to 99, it's still a marathon, not a sprint. And so to me, setbacks will always take place in one area of your life, okay? Because you have so many areas of your life, the physical, the mental, the spiritual, the financial, the job, the family, the relationships, right? So we all have setbacks. So to me, most people sit, settle in a setback. And so my, my whole thought is, if I can get them to see beyond the immediate and that problem that seems so permanent, truly, the bigger the setback, the greater the comeback. And even if that comeback takes them one year, two years, three years, five years, I try to prepare them for the rest of their life. And that is kind of like my strength. Yeah. I know you're yeah. big on the underdogs. It's, yeah. Everyone loves a good comeback story. Almost my eyes changed when I started talking about this because, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have very few people that walk into my life that I, I can't help them in this, this area. What, what I do need is their will, W-I-L-L, because -L, people have a free will. And they can just cross their arms and say, no, I refuse to get better. It's hard to, to cross that free, free will. But if somebody is willing, there's no doubt that they can get better. For sure. Uh, what's the most important part of your, your daily routine? Are there sort of one or two or three things that you do every single day as rituals that help get you in the, the right frame of mind? Yeah, so to me, I need to get outside. I need to breathe. I, I, I'm a walker. I walk five or six days a week. I have to go to the gym at least four or five times a week. And a lot of that is um, just for movement, physicality, helps my mindset. But I study at least, at least, I would say I'd study two hours a day. Mm. And when you say study, I may watch your podcast, I might read a book, uh, I'll listen to something, uh, I'll read it, the newspaper. So I'm studying about two hours a day. And then um, my faith in God is very important. So I'm really into like meditating on scriptures and I call it feeding my faith and starving my doubt. So that's important to me. And then my family is super, super important. I have two children 
and I'm very close to my my mother and my sisters. Mm. Yeah. Our final question before we move into the rocket round. On your best day, what's an affirmation that you would write on a flashcard that you could show yourself on your worst day? Yes. So on on my best day, I would say today's decisions are tomorrow's realities. And that that the reason I'm having such a good day is I made some good decisions most likely to have the reality of having that good day. And it's really the truth. Like sometimes when you when you're eating well, it doesn't feel like there's any changes. <laughs> but then down the line you're like, this is wild. I have new energy. I feel better. I'm more thin. I'm more lean, right? Mm-hmm. So on my worst day, I need to look at that, today's decisions or tomorrow's realities and say, "Hey Tim, you know, even though you don't feel good, uh, make the right choices today for a better tomorrow. Mm, so good. Well, let's now move into the win the day rocket round. 10 questions for some quick answers. Yeah. Number one, what quote inspires you the most? Um, sometimes you got to go left before you get right. Mm. <laughs> Love it. Number two, morning coffee or evening wine? Uh, morning coffee. Number three, what's one bit of advice you would give your 18-year-old self? Slow down and enjoy the walk. (laughs) Number four, what book do you gift the most apart from your own books? Is there a particular book that's inspired you the most or that you give away to a lot of people? Think and Grow Rich. Mm. Mm. Particular lesson from from that book that, uh, that still resonates? A lot on the mindset. Yeah. And the power of the, mind, uh, power of the mastermind as well, isn't it? Like, yeah, 100%. Yeah, getting the right people around you. Uh, number five, was there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower? Yes. Um, ashamed of how we were lower income and didn't have much. Mm, how did that become your superpower? Um, by realizing that everybody has their own pain points mm. um, and... I turn my pain into power, as somebody has said. Mm. Uh, number six, what's one thing you've learned about failure? That it's not permanent, but it'll leave a scar. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. Uh, number seven, if you could sit on a park bench and have a conversation with someone alive or dead, who would it be? Um, Nelson Mandela. Any particular questions that you'd love to... How was it in prison for over 25 years and you kept hope alive? Mm-hmm. Number eight, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or your business? I would, I would, say, um, I would say the Bible because I'm really into the Psalms and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and wisdom books have made me wiser than I thought that I was going to be. Mm. Number nine, share one thing on your bucket list. Um, to live strong into my 90s and still have a lot of swag. Mm, love it. And last question, number 10, what's one thing you do to win the day? Plant positive seeds into other people's lives through encouragement, calls, and affirmations. Mm. So good. Well, there are a bunch of ways to connect with Tim, and we'll link to all of these in the show notes. You can follow him on Instagram at Tim Story Official. Grab a copy of his book, The Miracle Mentality, and visit his website, timstory.com. Again, all that and more will be linked in the show notes. Brother, thanks so much for coming on the show. What a privilege. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Win the Day podcast. 
We want to hear your thoughts on what we covered today. So drop a comment on the YouTube version of this episode with your favorite takeaway, any questions you have, or what actions you'll be taking as a result of what was shared in this episode. And if you found value in the Win the Day podcast, leave a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You'll find a link to both of those in the show notes. It'll only take you a few seconds and more ratings really helps other people discover the show so they can get the mindset upgrade they need and we can bring more winners into the Win the Day movement. That's all for this episode. Get out there and win the day. Until next time, onwards and upwards, always.